Hi, hello, welcome to the Dirty Rabbit Hole podcast. I'm Michael Foreman, author. Hi again, it's Michael Foreman, author, calling to you all the way from the Dirty Rabbit Hole podcast in Western Australia. I'm an author of dark adult fiction, writing content about sexless marriages. For those people who are listening to the podcast for the first time, hello and thank you for visiting. For those who have been hanging on for a while and catching up with this latest one, thank you too. Today, this podcast is a sharing podcast. I'm going to share with you something that happened in the counsellor's room many years ago, and what I went through as a husband to an asexual wife during our therapy sessions. Oh, don't worry, sexless marriages can swing both ways. Quite often, it's the husband who goes off the boil and turns his wife away. So don't be put off that this is a male voice on the podcast. Imagine the genders being switched, if that helps you. That aside... I want to talk to you about an event that took place between the four walls of a counselling room. To bring you up to speed, we spent four years in counselling slash therapy trying to sort out our problems. I was for counselling. I wanted to go. In fact, I was the first one who initiated it. Unfortunately, my wife didn't like the counsellors I picked, so she went out and found one she liked, who she was comfortable with, and that's where I pick up the story. And this is as verbatim as I can remember. You see, my wife had found this counsellor on a radio program. He had a successful late-night Christian radio program. She'd heard about him, listened closely, and then decided to call him up on the next Monday morning to make an appointment to see him. She suggested that she go alone to check the guy out first. But after that, it was decided that she would go along for the next four or five sessions alone. She said she wanted to get her head right and put down some of the things that she needed to say before I entered the picture. That was fine for me. Anything would have been an improvement on what we'd been going through. I met the guy. He seemed to be nice and non-biased, which is a good thing to have. I think a counsellor shouldn't take anyone's side. And, even though he was a Christian, he wasn't outwardly Christian during the therapy. I shook his hand and sat down. At first... The chatter was about the weekend football scores and such. But ten minutes into the session, we started getting serious. My wife, whom I'll call Samantha, started the discussion. She spoke non-stop for 45 of those 60 minutes. She talked about how stressed she was, the pressures of her job, of having to be a responsible person in her workplace and expected to be a respected leader among her peers 
and do more than they were expected to do. She spoke until she broke down and cried. The session ended with the three of us fixing another date for the following month. And it happened this way for four sessions. On the fifth, Tony stopped her in mid-conversation. While she was talking, he'd been reviewing his notes and realised that I had said nothing at all. The notes he'd made on the previous sessions were about Sam. My side of the story was historically blank. I guess he recognised a pattern occurring and needed to break it right away. He turned to me and said, Michael, would you like to say something? I can tell you that this question was to become the most dominant of all. And, although I didn't know it at the time, it was also the pinnacle moment of our therapy. Or at least, I felt it was. So I knew it was important, and I had to get it right. My wife was dominating each of the meetings, and there was a pretty good chance she'd do it again when the opportunity arose so I needed my words to stick inside the available space. It was so hard not to blurt out every frustration I'd felt. Every bone in my body wanted my mouth to shout, but I kept it simple, calm, and succinct. I replied, Tony, we don't have sex. Four words. That's all I wanted to release. I didn't want these few to be lost in the trillions of words I really wanted to say. These four words counted for everything. They had to leave me intact and undistracted. Tony sat and listened. And then he waited for me to add more detail to it. But I wasn't going to play that game. Not yet. If he wanted to know more about our sexual frequency, quality and quantity, he'd have to ask me. At this point, I just needed those four words to hang in the silence so their echoes could help me after it. Sam just sat there, waiting for something to happen. She couldn't speak because she knew it was my turn to talk. Respectfully, she'd sit quietly until asked another question. Tony looked on. He could see by my face that I wasn't going to say anything more about it. So he turned to his notes for clues. It makes sense. Those notes would be the place where Sam might have mentioned something in any of the meetings prior to this one. That's why counsellors keep notes, right? It's hard to remember specifics when it's four weeks between sessions. I already guessed what he'd written on his papers, and the longer it took for him to locate a clue amongst the many pages of text confirmed it for me. In all those weeks, with and without me present at the meetings, she hadn't spoken of sex. Not once. Why wasn't it mentioned? 
How come one partner says something that the other has completely avoided? Clearly, Sam's avoidance said a great deal to Tony. You could say that this was a breakthrough moment in our counselling. Since our wedding day, no one else had ever known of our disaster. Finally, another individual was becoming aware of just how bad it was. What made it even sweeter for me was seeing our counsellor, the one Sam chose for herself, being taken along for the same ride. He went where she took him. Samantha spoke about the things that concerned her, and sex was not a concern for her. Tony was being fooled by Sam. He'd never known anything about it until now. So Tony is stuck there with his bunch of notes in his lap, trying to figure out where to take the discussion next. He looks at me for a few seconds and then shifts his attention over to Sam. He asks, What do you think about what Mitchell is saying, Sam? She kind of looked past him to a space somewhere on the back wall of the room and didn't respond. Tony repeated himself a minute later. What do you think, Samantha? She blinked and replied, About what? Sex, what do you think about it? She went into that glazed expression I'd seen so many times before and remained silent again. Sam, Tony asked, what do you want? She sat up straight and refocused her look. Do you guys have sex? Of course we have sex, Tony. We're a married couple. And then it came to the top of the hour. The session had ended we made a date for the next one and left Tony's room. For the next four years, we would play the same game. She would tell Tony about her work anxieties and, at the last 15 minutes, I would talk about sex. Sometimes I'd repeat my four-word line and wait for a result to come. Sometimes I'd add in an extra piece of the puzzle, like asking her about the last time we had sex. She was always adamant to Tony that we had sex, but could never recall when it last happened. Easily explained away by admitting she doesn't keep track of that stuff. The absurdity of that reply is how well she kept track of everything else but that stuff. Sam is an extremely efficient person in her life, both personal and professional. It's just sex was the exception, not the rule. So we'd been going along that route with Tony for a while, and I could see no improvement, yet I was still yearning for intimacy. That's when I decided to take things into my own hands and find a lover myself. You could say that this action doesn't help a struggling relationship, but I knew it certainly couldn't hurt it anymore, and we were going nowhere. Once that pressure had been removed, I could see things a lot clearer. 
I didn't have to fight her anymore. I didn't have to fight myself anymore. The irony of that was our relationship improved. She even initiated sex one time, and she'd never done that before, not ever. Mostly, for her, no time was a good time for sex. Christmas wasn't a good time. Valentine's Day was inappropriate. Birthdays were bad. Trips and holidays away weren't a good time to have sex either. Towards the end, when we were trying to have children, that wasn't a good time to have sex. Oh yes, (laughs) she wanted to be pregnant, but the sex part of it was optional. Somehow, she convinced herself that pregnancy could happen without sex. I believe she thought it to be part of some religious manifestation. I'm sure of it. For eight months, I'd listen to her talk about having children, but never initiate sex. She rejected my advances and claimed that there was a better time for that stuff. Well, those times never came. I claimed she wasn't being serious enough. Two months later, we separated. Eventually, we divorced. There is more to that last part of the story, like the ovulation tester she bought and left on the bathroom vanity for me to find. For seven months, she waited for me to ask what it was. For those of you who are familiar with this device, it looks like a lipstick case. It's nothing to a guy who sees other female cosmetics around the bathroom. It certainly doesn't have any words on it to tell you what it is. Anyway, to prove her seriousness, she said she obtained the device at the beginning of our family planning. So I went and got it from the bathroom to see what it looked like. Well, the shrink wrap plastic it was covered in was so perfect, you couldn't see it against its plastic body. I went to take the top off it, but found that it was still sealed up nice and tight. Imagine her surprise when I did the twist and turn thing in front of her. We both heard the snap and came to find out that her ovulation tester had never been used. That's why I say my wife is, was asexual. Something in the wiring went wrong in that department and I was stuck trying to deal with its consequences. It was something I couldn't repair or solve by seeing a counsellor. I ended up writing a book and called it Seethings. I keep saying it's fiction, but there's so much fact in there that you'll be able to relate to it, I'm sure. There's the frustration, the endless sexual avoidances, the tricks your partner makes to keep you hanging on. There are also those consequences of giving in to the secret affair and being swept up in it. Seethings is available from smashwords.com for free. Go to smashwords.com, type in the word seethings, S-E-E-T-H-I-N-G-S, and you'll find me and my book for you to read for free. You can download it into your device, your mobile phone, 
laptop, iPad, whatever, they've got it available in all kinds of formats. The book itself is a psychological thriller, with a sexless marriage at its heart. If you like dark fiction, thrillers with erotica, or books about romantic relationships, this is for you. It's for those who have had bumps like these occur in their marriages and need an outlet just like it. Samantha and I never had children. (laughs) That's to be expected, right? We divorced and now live happily ever after without each other. The end. (laughs) If you'd like to comment on this or any other podcast, drop me a note on michaelformanwriting.com. That's michaelformanwriting.com. That's about it for today's podcast. Yes, it's been a little bit of a personal and emotional one for me this time around. I really hope you enjoyed listening to it. Wherever you are in the world, day or night, just remember, it can always rain on your parade. I'll see you later.